Well, good morning, church. It's so good to see each and every one of you. If you're watching online, welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so glad that you are here. Um, I grew up Presbyterian. Any Presbyterians in here with me? Yeah, we're part of the Frozen Chosen, so clapping is very hard for us. We don't even know. We need a class or something on it. Um, now, I was informed that I owe the church an apology. If you were here last week, I had made a comment that dogs, cats, and dolphins were of a superior type of animal than cats. And um, John and Liz Alden told me that they said, the key bill, you just have to understand cats. And John told me this, he said, to understand a cat, you just need to understand that they own the house and they own you and then everything's fine. And that's exactly why I'm not a cat person. <laughs> But anyway, welcome to church. We're so glad that you are here, uh, part of our service today. Well, we are in a series called What I Wish I'd Known Sooner. We're um, looking at those lessons that it's better off learning sooner rather than later. And I hope this series has been a blessing to you. I know it's been encouraging and challenging for me as I write it. I'm not even kidding with what I'm about to tell you. Today's message might be the single most important message in this entire series. And that is because I'm going to be highlighting today a lesson that will, it's the difference between living a life of true freedom and living a life marked by unnecessary burden, burdens, guilt, and stress. And I hope by the time this sermon is over, you have a greater appreciation of what I'm talking about. Because I think today, some of you are going to be casting off some burdens that you've been carrying. So, as we view the current cultural landscape, one thing is for certain, we have lost our moral compass, have we not? Uh, we are living in a crazy world. We are living in a world in which that which is good is being called evil, and that which is evil is being called good. And what that means is that the world that you and I grew up in is not the world that our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren are getting to grow up in. Our grandchildren, children, and great-grandchildren are growing up in an incredibly crazy world. Unfortunately, that world is convoluted. It's morally adrift, politically divided, again, convoluted than we ever could have imagined uh, it being. But here we are. And now it's heartbreaking because our children and our grandchildren are dealing with issues that no child should have to deal with. Issues that we didn't have to deal with when we were growing up. As a result, our children and grandchildren are having to carry burdens that no child should have to carry. Imagine the burden that we have placed on our children as they now grow up in a world where they are being told that all white people are racist or that all men are evil or that all police officers are systemic oppressors. Imagine the burden that we have placed upon our children as they grow up in a world where they are being told that gender is fluid or that men competing in women's sports is natural or that extreme social isolation might very well be the new normal. Imagine the burden that our children and grandchildren are now having to carry as they grow up in a world where they're being told that God doesn't exist, truth is relative, morality is subjective, and that the world will probably end in 10 years if we don't stop drinking from straws. <laughs> and we laugh at that, but that is the world that our children and grandchildren are having to grow up in. And the burdens and the fears and the pressures that we are placing on them. These are burdens, in my humble opinion, that no child should have to carry. But we have loaded these burdens and many more upon our children and grandchildren, and again, it is heartbreaking to me. But listen, if that is heartbreaking to you, then the message today is for you. Because what I'm about to tell you is very important. 
This very scenario of people carrying burdens they were never meant to carry is happening every day within the body of Christ with devastating consequences. If it is burdening you with what you're seeing in culture, I pray that you feel the weight of this message today with what is happening in the church. And what I'm talking about is God's children being strapped down with heavy spiritual burdens they were never meant to carry, often put on them by spiritual leaders and teachers that should have known better. But it's, always, it's not always spiritual leaders and teachers that are placing burdens on people. Sometimes they come from within our own family and other places. So church, it's on that note, it's my honor to take you to the word of God today. We'll be in Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to look through verse 4. Four simple verses that can be life-changing when properly understood. So hear the word of God this morning. Then Jesus said to the crowds, and to his disciples. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. They tie heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Amen. Church, hear the word of God this morning. Now, Matthew 23, of course, is a famous passage because in it, Jesus pronounces woes upon the religious leaders. And not surprisingly, one of the very first things he calls them out for is their guilt for laying heavy burdens upon the people, burdens they were never meant to carry, which brings us to today's principle that you want to learn sooner rather than later. And it is simply this, be incredibly careful in life, folks, or you will get straddled with religious beliefs you were never meant to carry. And I have no doubt in a room this size with this many people and those watching online, there are a lot of us carrying burdens today you were never meant to carry. And it is my hope that after this message is over, some of you are going to leave those burdens in, in this room and walk away free, never to carry those burdens again. As you might have guessed, the Bible is full of one example after another of this very thing happening. Take, for example, the burdens placed on the people of Israel by the religious leaders regarding the Sabbath. The Sabbath, of course, was a day of rest for the Israelites. It was a day that they were to set aside the burdens of daily life and to enjoy God, to enjoy creation, to enjoy all the ways that he had blessed them. The best thing that I can liken it to that we'll all understand, it was when you were in elementary school and there was recess. Amen? Who doesn't love recess? And God's going like, hey, if you love recess as a kid, I'm going to give it to you as an adult. It's called the Sabbath. Take a day off and just relax. Rest. Worship me. Enjoy creation. Enjoy your family. Enjoy life. Sounds great, doesn't it? Who doesn't love a day of rest? In modern vernacular, we'll, we might say it was a day that God said, stop and smell the roses. Stop and smell the roses and enjoy all that I've done and all that I've blessed you with. The Sabbath was to be a blessing, but the Pharisees had turned it into a tremendous, and I mean tremendous, burden. How do you mess up a day of rest? It's possible. It's possible. And the Pharisees did it. And they did it by instituting overly harsh restrictions that led to legalism of the highest order. Let me give you an example of that. If someone you knew your child, your wife, somebody in your family, a neighbor was suffering on the Sabbath for whatever reason. Maybe they fell down. Maybe they ate something bad. Maybe they just had a, a flu or whatever. The Pharisees made it illegal for you to help that person. You had to let that person suffer until the Sabbath was over. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that sound like good religion? It sounds like horrible religion. 
No, just let them suffer. You need to just sit there and not do anything because that's what the Sabbath is all about, according to the Pharisees. Jesus, of course, ran smack dab into this very issue. And guess what? His blood boiled as a result. Let me prove it to you. Mark chapter three. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with, what does that word say, folks? Anger. And grieved at the hardness of their heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and he, his hand was restored. You think that would be good news? You think people would rejoice? Look at verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against Jesus how to destroy him. Incredible. You know, a lot of times when we think about Jesus becoming angry, we think about him overturning the, the tables in the temple court. But folks, there was another thing that got Jesus' blood boiling, and it was this. When people tried to put burdens on other people they were never meant to carry. That made Jesus' blood boil. Now remember, it was their zeal to protect the Sabbath that caused the religious leaders to become overly legalistic and harsh. And here's why that's important. Here's why that is important. Oftentimes, it will be very, ze very zealous, very religious people who will seek to put spiritual burdens on you that you were never meant to carry. I have no doubt that well-meaning pastors have probably put burdens on, on you and me, and I have to worry that I do it too, have put burdens on us that we were never meant to carry. Such people might have good intentions, but unfortunately, good intentions often become a doorway through which unnecessary religious burdens come into our lives. Now, it wasn't just Jesus that had to deal with this sort of thing. The apostles had to deal with it as well. And perhaps the best example of this had to do with all the Gentiles that were coming to faith in the early church. No sooner had these Gentiles come to faith then certain people tried to place a heavy yoke upon them, and that yoke was labeled circumcision. And it went something like this. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. See, there's different types of burdens that are placed on us. Sometimes we get religious burdens that we were never meant to carry, and they affect us in one way. Other religious burdens that we carry can affect the gospel. And here's a great example of a religious burden that affected the gospel. You aren't saved by grace alone, by, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. You must be circumcised, okay? And ladies, if you're a man, that's horrible news. That's not the gospel. That's not good news, right? Men, do I hear an amen? amen. This became such a major issue in the early church that the very first church council was called as a result of it. It's Acts 15. And you know what's interesting is 2,000 years of church history, we have creeds and councils that have happened that have helped pave the way for the church that you and I know today. Good God, godly men and women down through the centuries have come together and convened councils and creeds and written catechisms for our benefit. Well, this was the very first one, and it had to deal with the issue of circumcision. And here's what it says. After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. The first 
church council. Now look at what it says. After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Listen, one guy you don't ever want to tangle with when it comes to theological issues would be the Apostle Paul. It would have been great to have been a fly on the wall and this conversation happened, right? Could you imagine? And it's interesting, no small dissension and debate. I'm sure the gloves were off. It was probably World War III in this discussion. Paul and Barnabas and others go up to Jerusalem to discuss this issue. And it was at this council that Peter famously said these words. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Amen? Folks, that's the gospel. That's the good news. Oh, happy day. You're saved not because of anything you do. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ. The only thing that you contribute to your salvation was the sin that made it necessary. Period. End of sentence. By the way, remember how I told you Jesus' blood boiled because of uh, people placing burdens on others? The Apostle Paul's blood boiled too. There was no small dissension here, but look at what he did. Look at some of the things he wrote in some of the other letters. For example, in Philippians, he said, look about, he said this about those that require circumcision in order to be saved. He said, look out for those dogs. Look out for those evildoers. Look out for those who tell you you must mutilate your flesh in some way in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. That sounds like a man that's upset, Right? The gloves are off. Look out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Folks, that is how serious Jesus took this issue. This is how serious Paul took this issue when well-meaning people or even evil people try to place burdens on God's people that they were never meant to carry. Just how angry this made the Apostle Paul can truly be seen in what he wrote to the Galatians. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. In other words, they want to do circumcision. I'm so mad at them, have them do the whole thing. And if that sounds crude, I didn't say it. Paul did. It's in Scripture. And that's how mad he is. He's saying, I wish they would just go and if they want to mutilate the flesh, go for it. And folks, that, that should open your eyes to, to, if Jesus was this upset about this and Paul was this upset about it, something significant is happening here. And what is happening here is God doesn't want you to carry burdens you were never meant to carry, to go through life and to live out your faith in a way that you feel like you're enslaved to rules and regulations you were never meant to carry. It was the reason Jesus spoke these words, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, there's that word again, rest. Rest. The Sabbath was meant for a day of rest. But here comes Christ. He is the true Sabbath, and in him you'll find eternal rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find, there it is again, rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Folks, Jesus' point is simple. If you're tired of trying to earn God's favor by meticulously obeying endless rules, regulations, traditions, and ceremonies made up by other people, you can be free of that. You can be done with that. Come to him, for he'll give you rest from that torturous way of life. And it is a torturous way of life. You know, the Protestant reformer, Martin Luther, before he had his tower experience, his tower experience was when he was in a 
when he basically was reading the book of Romans in a tower and the gospel became alive to him and he knew he was set free. But up until that point, he hated the God of the Bible, even though he served him daily. He hated the God of the Bible because he was trapped in this idea that I've got to do all these endless rules and regulations in order to please this God of the Bible. And it wasn't until he understood the gospel that everything that was needed to be done for our salvation was done for us by Christ on the cross. And he was set free in that moment. Of course, Christ is the perfect savior. He lived the life you and I couldn't live and he laid down his life in your place and mine. That's the good news. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen? This is the heart of the Protestant Reformation. You're in a Protestant church. Remember the five, the five pillars of the Protestant Reformation. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is the scriptures alone that are our final source of authority. Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. This is the good news. And that is why the, the Apostle John could write this. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And everybody say it with me. And his commandments are not burdensome. Why aren't they burdensome? Because we're not doing them to try to earn God's favor or somehow meticulously try to earn our way to heaven. No, we're doing them out of love because we've been adopted by grace through faith. And even if we stumble and fall, he's going to forgive us and there's nothing that can snatch us out of his hand. We are his forever to serve him out of love for what he's done for us. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That is why I always tell people, remember how I told you when I started the sermon, this might be the single most important sermon in this series. What I'm about to tell you might be the single most important thing I'm going to tell you today. If you are in a ministry or around religious leaders or other Christians or religious people, and they are burdening you, or you are feeling burdened with rules, regulations, traditions, expectations, or ceremonies that exceed what the scriptures teach, do not feel guilty even for a second for resisting those who are seeking to burden you in that way. Amen? I mean it. A powerful passage that speaks to this very issue can be found in 1 Timothy. Listen to this. Now, wait, before I go here, let me go back. I'm going to ask you guys a question. If I were to ask you, what do demons, if, if a demon were to teach something, what would they teach? If an evil spirit were to teach something, what would it teach? And your mind might be racing. You might be surprised according to this passage. Look at what it says. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars, false teachers whose consciences have been seared. What do these demons teach? Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Who would have ever thought that straight from the pit of hell would come things like you need to avoid marriage in order to please God. You need to avoid certain foods in order to get right with God. You need to circumcise yourself or mutilate your flesh in some way in order to please God. Incredible. And I'm going to say this with all gentleness, but a, a great example of that would be, and again, within the Catholic church, the priests are told that they can't get married. That's a burden. I don't think that they were, that's not a biblical mandate that I think that they're supposed to carry. And I think the fruit of it is being seen. And I'm not trying to pick on the Catholic church because this sort of thing happens in the Protestant church all the time. Or I can say to the Mormon faith, you know, there's, they require abstinence from certain foods. And again, I'm not picking on them because this sort of thing happens within the Protestant church all the time where 
unnecessary rules and regulations are placed on us that we were never meant to carry. I'll give you a good example of one, practical one for me. Um, I played on the church softball team at this church for many, many years. And we would always gather around home plate. And everybody, every time we gathered, it was, everybody take your hat off. And I'm like, okay. Now, you know why we take our hat off? We take our hat off as a way to show deference to God. But I'm going, it, it almost became like, if you didn't take your hat off, you know, guys were looking at you like, hmm, you know. Listen, these you wouldn't have known we were in a church league because once the game started, there was foul language. There was all sorts of yelling and cursing and all sorts of crazy stuff happening. And so here was, a, here was something being placed on us. You need to take your hat off in order to pray, in order to please God. And I'm sitting here going, no, take the veil off your heart. Who cares what's on your head? What we should be telling the guys is take the veil off your heart. Who cares what you're wearing? Who cares what's on your head? So this sort of thing, again, I'm not picking on Catholics or Mormons. It happens in the Protestant church all the time as well. And here's the deal. The unnecessary religious burdens that often people end up carrying aren't always put on us by other people. Some of, sometimes the unnecessary religious burdens that we are carrying are self-imposed. Sometimes we can become our own worst enemies. You want a good example of where I did that in my own life? When I was young in my faith, I was 17, 18. I had only been a Christian a couple of years. And I loved the Lord. I was truly born again. He took out my heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh. I loved him, but I was young. And I needed to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, as, as it says in the scriptures. But somewhere in my mind, I said, it can't be this easy. The gospel can't be this good that I'm just forgiven. Like God forgives me. And so... There was a season of my life where I thought, oh, I'm going to go back and fix some of the stuff that I've done. And then God will really be pleased with me. Now, you want to know what happens when you try to go back and fix stuff that you've messed up and done? Number one, you can't fix it. But just as soon as you try to fix that one thing, you discover a hundred other things that need fixing. And it's a recipe for losing your mind. And you know how I said that Luther hated the, gospel, hated the God of the Bible until he understood the gospel? There was a time early in my faith where I told my mom, I said, if this is what the Christian faith is about, I don't want it. And it's just because I had lost sight of the gospel for a short time. I was young and I needed to be discipled that, no, Bill, you are forgiven. You don't have to go back and fix everything in your past because all of that has been taken care of by Jesus on the cross. So sometimes we're our own worst enemies, that is exactly why we see the Apostle Paul writing things like this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, you see that word stand firm? It's there for a reason. It's interesting that Paul on this issue would say, you need to stand firm on this issue. Be ready. And here's why. Because well-meaning people will try to put religious burdens on you all the time. They can often be very subtle. They come in all shapes and sizes. They can come from within the home, from without, from in church, and you name it. They can come. They can come from yourself. And before you know it, you're strapped down doing things where you're just like, why am I doing this? Why am I taking my hat off? And why am I wearing these clothes? And why am I avoiding those foods? And why am I not getting married? And why am I doing all these crazy things? And the reason he tells us to stand firm again is because there's no shortage of ways in which your freedom will come under attack. Satan can't take away your faith. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and nobody can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Amen? That's the good news. You can't lose your salvation. If you could, you would, and it wouldn't be the gospel. The good news is he has saved you by grace through faith, and you are his forever. And Satan can't cause you to lose your faith, but he can burden your faith. 
And he will try to make you miserable, ineffective, and powerless. And that's what happens when you allow other people to strap you with burdens you were never meant to carry. So as Christians, we're called to stand firm. How do we do that? This is where we're going to get practical. We've, I've been giving you biblical examples. Now I'm going to give you real life examples. One way to do that, let's just start with this verse right here. Paul says this, how do you fight back against people that try to put unnecessary burdens on you? Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. In other words, when people try to impose their particular religious convictions on you, passing judgments on you in areas where the Bible says you have freedom, whatever you do, don't let such judgment have any effect on you whatsoever. Are you with me on that? I hope you are. Because it is serious. It is so serious that Jesus' blood boiled. It was so serious that Paul's blood boiled on this very issue. When someone tries to pass a judgment on you in an area where you have freedom, do not feel obligated in that moment at all. For example, you might run across a person who, with great conviction, tells you that you should avoid certain foods in order to please God. Avoid pork. Avoid caffeine. This is what you need to do as a Christian. Now, I do not have a problem in the slightest for Christians having convictions about what goes into their mouth. I have certain things that I avoid. We all have to do that to a certain degree. Where I do have a problem is when you take that conviction and apply it to me as if I should do this and I need to do this as my duty as a Christian. As a new covenant believer, folks, here's the good news. You guys want good news today? Oh, happy day. You are free to eat whatever food, whatever you want, whatever you want, whenever you want. Amen? Amen. Amen. It is a point that Jesus made abundantly clear. This is one of the greatest passages in the Bible because in it we have freedom. And he said to them, then you are without understanding. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not in his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Doesn't matter if you eat chocolate, caffeine, whatever, that's not going to defile you. It might make your tummy upset. It might make you grumble a little bit. It might make you irritable. I don't know, but it's not going to make you unholy in God's sight. And thus he declared, say it with me, all foods clean. Praise the Lord. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Listen, you can guard what goes into your mouth for health reasons, and that's great. But if you try to oppose that on me as a religious burden, no thanks. Because if that's the case, you're focused on the wrong thing. What goes into my mouth does not defile me. It's what comes out of my heart that defiles me. As Christians, we cannot lose sight of that. We've got to stay focused. We've got to make right judgments. I say this all the time. If the church in this generation isn't making right judgments, who's going to do it? Because look around in society. It ain't happening. There are no right judgments, it seems, that are being made these days. It's imperative that we as Christians get it right. Not just on easy issues like sexual purity and these other things, but on issues in which people are being strapped with burdens they, never, they were never meant to carry, spiritual burdens they were never meant to carry. The same principle also applies to anyone who seeks to pass judgment on you with regard to religious holidays, festivals, and things like that. 
Let me give you an example. There are Christians who choose not to celebrate, for example, Christmas for one reason or another. And while I can certainly honor and respect their decision for their family, and they do it because they'll say, well, it's a pagan holiday or, you know, it's, it wasn't on the 25th. And so for that reason, we can't celebrate. Fine. That's fine. What I won't let them do is pass judgment on me and my family for not joining in them on their decision. On the flip side of that, I know Christians who, for one reason or another, like practicing the Old Testament Passover Seder. Okay, so we just celebrated communion, which is really, it was on Passover. The, the communion is the fulfillment. This is it. It's, this, is, this is, but there are Christians who like to actually practice the Old Testament version Passover Seder. And while I can certainly honor and respect their decision, I will not let them pass judgment on me or my family or this church if we don't practice the Old Testament Passover Seder as the Jews did. Romans 14 says this, who are you to pass judgment on a servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. I'll give you a practical example of this. This church has a Saturday night service. I have run into other Christians and other pastors and other churches who say, no, you should only worship on Sunday. I just disagree. I think that is an unnecessary burden that is being placed on, a, uh, that is trying to be placed on this church that we don't need to carry. And that's why we don't carry it. Now, I need to be incredibly careful because as a pastor, I may intentionally or unintentionally burden other believers with my personal convictions in areas where you have freedom, okay? If you spend time with me outside of church, I have my own personal quirks and convictions, and you might butt up against one of those and go, should I be doing that? And I'll say, no, not necessarily. This is just me. This is good for me. This is good for our family, but it's not necessarily a requirement for you or for your family. Let me tell you probably one of the biggest areas that pastors and elders and church leaders do that, and it has to do with, dun, 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 <laughs> giving. Pastors, elders, and church leaders, if not incredibly careful, can place financial burdens on believers they were never meant to carry. And folks, it happens all the time. What is the New Testament standard for giving? Folks, it is as simple as it is straightforward, and here it is. Each one must do as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Amen? In other words, you are, your giving is a personal decision between you and the Lord, and you have freedom in that area. You can give what you want, when you want, where you want. That's your business, and that's between you and God. And anyone that tells you otherwise, I don't know how they get around that verse. Amen? I cannot tell you how many people I have talked to over the years that have been in my office and others who said I, they're just burdened and, they're, and I go, well, what's going on? And it's like, well, I can't give 10%. I can't even come close to that. And I'm saying, well, who told you you have to give 10%? Well, isn't that what the Bible teaches? No, it doesn't. If you want to go back to the Old Testament and use Israel, then you need to be giving upwards of 25% of your income away. And by the way, Israel... The reason they had to give so much wasn't just tithe. It was they were giving, their, a lot of their giving went to support the theocracy, the government, the, the nation as an, of Israel. That is why when you faithfully pay your taxes, you're being faithful to God and you're giving to God. So you, you go, well, what do I give to God? You, whatever you give to the ministry, whatever you pay in taxes, this is all part of giving to God. And so the point is simply is that pastors do this all the time. If someone you know is trying to manipulate you or pressure you or use guilt on you so that you will give as they want, when they want, and how they want, folks resist it. 
resist it. Um, throw off the percentages. Each one should determine in his own heart what he wants to give. And that is between you and the Lord. That is why I'm not even a big fan of things like, um, what are they called? Uh, pledge cards. You know, a lot of churches will do pledge cards. Well, yeah, it's like, we're not, nobody's required to give, but here's the card and there's a pen. And as soon as you filled it out, you can leave, you know, and it's like, Ugh. yeah, I'm feeling, I, I'm, I'm going to do this reluctantly and under compulsion because then I know you're going to look at it and I'm going to be, you know, so on and so forth. I'm not even a big fan of that. That's why at this church, I love this church. I didn't do this. I inherited it because Pastor Guy Davidson started this church. We don't take, there's not an offering. We don't do an offering. I mean, we have an offering. We have offering boxes. We don't pass a plate and we rarely talk about money. At the end of every year, we do a giving campaign. We say, hey, this is our goal. If you can help us out, great. Don't worry about it. I had a friend this week and or last week, and I got in a conversation with them, and they brought up this very issue, and they said, Bill, I'm burdened because I want to give more to the church, but our family can't, or are we just not in a place to do it? And I said, well, what's going on? And they said, well, and I'm not going to, I'm going to leave it at this. They said, we give a large portion of our money to people in need in another country, and I'm going, so? Praise God. That's you giving your money for the work of the kingdom. When it's just like, well, I'm not giving it to the church. You don't need to. You're being generous towards the kingdom of God. Go in peace. Have freedom in that. God will take care of this church. Amen? Amen. If that is what is burdened, if that's a burden on your family to do that, praise God, do it and bless those people. Go nuts. And don't think twice. Don't feel burdened. Don't feel guilty at all. As new covenant believers, watch out for anyone who would seek to shock your faith with rules and regulations that restrict your freedom. Again, folks, this is what I'm going to tell you. This is the most important thing I'm going to tell you. A sign that you are in a healthy ministry around healthy people, around healthy Christians, religious leaders, so on and so forth, is that there will be a spirit of, here's the key, godly freedom, godly freedom. In other words, where the Bible says that we are to live godly lives, you want to be in a ministry that isn't afraid to say that, isn't afraid to call sin, sin. But you want to be in a church that doesn't convolute and add to the scriptures. Amen? So we want to, you always want to be in a church that speaks the truth, but does it, and, but knows where to draw the line so that you're not unnecessarily burdened with religious rules and so on and so forth. Paul wrote this. He said, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. Watch out, guard yourselves. They will come from within your family. They will come from church. They will come from well-meaning people. You might even strapping, be strapping yourself with burdens you were never meant to carry. Be careful because it happens all the time. So church, I finish with a simple question. Are you currently carrying a religious burden that you were never intended to carry? If so, as I said at the beginning of the sermon, I pray that some of you today are gonna drop burdens here and walk away and never pick them up again. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come before you and we thank you that in Christ we are set free. We are set free to serve you out of joy and love, not out of fear or doubt or worry or somehow to try to please you. God, never certain if we can. We have been accepted because Jesus shed his blood for us. And God, there's nothing that can happen that will ever cause that love to be taken away from us. So God, if anybody in this room today, myself included, or that are watching online that are carrying burdens that they, were, they shouldn't be carrying, God, today I pray is the day of freedom for them. Let them set those burdens aside and just walk in the joy of knowing that they are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, that they are forever yours. 
Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. We love you and we thank you. We pray these things in Christ's name. And the church said with me, amen. God bless you. You guys have a great day. Hey, go eat whatever you want. Thank <laughs> you.